Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Hey, um, you remember last week we said we were going to possibly do a show talking about how we're going to carry things from other games. But, you know, normally when we say that, we just like don't ever do that because we don't remember. Yeah, we just forget. Yeah. So do you want to just remember this week and we'll do it? Oh, what what an idea. What a novel idea. Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pants Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I'm your other host, Senda. And last week we talked about games that left impressions on us and changed us as players and GMs. But how exactly do you take those experiences and use them to actually change your gaming, like take them forward with you? We teased last week and we actually remembered that we would talk about this in a future episode, which usually means... Like I said, we totally forget about it and never do it. But lo and behold, here we are actually remembering. So today let's talk about how to take those game-changing experiences and, you know, change your games. But first, to the definition panda. Yeah, so let's uh, let's define a few things for tonight. They'll become immediately useful as we get to talking. So these uh, couple of these are very misdirected mark specific uh, definitions, but I really like them. So uh, we will be using them for tonight, today, whenever you're listening. The first one is mechanism. This is something we do in the game, like a die roll or spending points, uh, expending a use, things like that. For instance, the mechanism for a skill check might be to roll a die and add a bonus to it from your skills, your stats, or whatever. That is a mechanism. A procedure is a process or structure for how to do something in a game. Like, for instance, a combat turn, right? And then if you put mechanisms and procedures together, now you have mechanics or, you know, and you have a bunch of mechanics, you have a system, right? So these are the kind of drill down, right? System, systems comprised of mechanics. Mechanics can be comprised of mechanisms and procedures, right? And procedures are often a way to structure how to do something, right? Um, like, like I said, like a combat turn where we might have some mechanics in it, like roll for initiative and attack rolls. But then we also have things like you will proceed through the initiative order, right? You'll mm -hmm. go from, and maybe, you know, you'll go from player to player, uh, those kinds of things. Okay, so. Mechanisms, procedures. Next one we're going to use is technique, which our definition from the internet is a way of carrying out a specific task. And our gaming definition, um, what we are talking about is the way of carrying out something as like the way we might GM it or we might play it as a player. Right. That's a technique. Uh, you know, we have a bunch of techniques as GMs. Um, you know, voices, pacing, the way you use your voice, the uh, cadence, the tempo, those kinds of things, techniques. Mm -hmm. uh, theme, the subject of a talk or piece of writing. Uh, themes for our games might be things like themes of horror or hope, 
could be gritty, those kinds of things. And then elements, and I think we've used this definition before, elements are like little small narrative things. They could be a character, they could be a little bit of setting, like a piece of history or something. They could be a location, something like that. And some of these things can kind of be blended together, right? So a particular element could also kind of convey a theme, right? We talked about how mechanics have mechanisms and procedures tied to it, um, those kinds of things. And some themes like horror will have certain techniques associated with them. So those things kind of get all kind of smooshed together or kind of tangled, uh, intertangled with each other. So keep that in mind there. We're making them by definition. And as we talk through uh, the rest of this episode, we make them feel very discreet, but understand that they're actually not um, really quite as discreet. They're, they have some overlap. They have some connectivity to one another. Sometimes you do one and the other simultaneously, that kind of thing. Okay. So keeping that in mind, when we have a game-changing event, we can take one or more of those things and choose to carry them forward uh, into other games. Mm-hmm. So let's actually work through an example of carrying this stuff forward. Let's go back to Phil's experience um, about the social change mechanism in Underground, which he talked about last week because it was one of those big moments for him. So real quick, run us down. What is the social change mechanic? Yeah, so in the game Underground, uh, where you are super powered kind of resistance fighters in kind of this uh, dystopian awful world, uh, there is a set of mechanics for how you can spend your XP, right, your XP for doing stuff in the game to affect change in your community, in your city, in your country. Uh, and all of those have a set of stats. Uh, and they, and the stats are different from character stats. They're things like take home pay, safety, health, happiness. Like those are just some of them. I think there's like two or three more and they're rated. And so like your neighborhood could be like, you know, have a very low safety rating, which means like it's dangerous to walk down the street, um, but might have, you know, I don't know, an okay take home pay or something like that. And then through the course of the game, what you do is you, you basically earn your XPs by doing stuff. And then you say, yeah, we would like to. Uh, we'd like to, in an adventure, raise the safety of our neighborhood. And the GM would be like, cool, let's uh, let's let's make up something for how that could occur. You're going to spend your points and you're going to go bust up a gang. Right. And now everything is safe. So in essence, the mechanic is about uh, how you can improve the neighborhood through experience like spending your experience points right so it makes like all the things you do matter in the setting of your game right you can actually affect your setting okay so with that uh let's talk about a couple different ways that um that changing event right reading about those rules in that game how we could transform them different ways based on that list that we talked about in just a few minutes ago. And I'm going to ask Senda to uh, name something off that list. And then I will tell you like how um, we could pull something from that, uh, from that underground rule set. Yeah. I'm going to be just absolutely chaotic here and go in the same order so that it's like easy to keep up with. So start off with mechanism. Tell me what you would do with that as a mechanism. Sure. So the mechanism, I think, in, in this case is probably one of the easiest ones because there's a mechanism in the game, right? So 
could easily for a different game lift out the city the city stats right the neighborhood city country stats they're all the same stats but they're just different tiers um and you know and actually use almost like the same xp uh thing for paying for the change you just have to like change the amounts to match whatever game you're playing right so in underground there's like a certain amount of of um xp you would get per session and if i was going to like take it for instance to like cyberpunk red cyberpunk red has these improvement points that i could uh do something very similar with just kind of have to figure out like if the average game yields this many xps in underground then it need like and you average this many ips in cyberpunk red then you know this equals this kind of thing and then we can translate those costs right yeah that's a little drifting of rules we've talked about that in previous episodes Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, how would you do it as a procedure? So now procedure, right, we're going to do uh, this whole thing without any mechanics. We're just yes. going to say that at the end of the game session, we can uh, just talk among the players in the GM if we think that the session that we were playing affected any change in the neighborhood. And if it did, then we'll kind of just uh, narratively add that to the fabric of the neighborhood. And the procedure part is like putting this discussion at the end of the session. Right. Um, The way that you would spend XP, right? That's how you're getting the No, no, the the XP part would be a mechanism thing. No, 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 I know. But like putting it at the end instead of like mid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying you're connecting to the way that you would spend XP pushes it to the end of the session. That that was very complicated. Never mind. Let's move on. How would you do it as a technique? (laughs) Sure. So um, as a GMing technique, right, what I've what you learn from that um, that piece in Underground is how actions can actions in the game can affect your settings such as safety and happiness and things like that. And so maybe as a uh, GMing technique, I want to fold in, I want to fold that into how I think about my setting. I want to make my settings more malleable. Like for instance, if I'm playing a fantasy game and we're kind of rooted in a town that's kind of near some dungeons, then what I can do is I could be like, okay, uh, the players you know, went on this raid or whatever, what happens to the town in terms of those, um, you know, things like safety and happiness and stuff like, oh, they brought back a bunch of gold and spent it around. Oh, good. The happiness is up. So next time, like when I get ready to do the next session, I can talk about how everybody's got like a little extra money in their pockets and, you know, having a good time. Or maybe uh, they had a bad run in the dungeon. Something's crept out and safety is now down in the town because, you know, monsters have come pouring out of the dungeon angry about the players raiding it or whatever. Right. So I can just as a GM technique, I can start to just work that into my thoughts about how I um, kind of prep and how I think about my town during the course of the campaign. That, I mean, that sounds actually really cool. But <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so two more. Let's do themes and then elements. Sure. So themes, themes is pretty easy. Uh, the idea of a game that, uh, that affects social change, uh, I could run that a theme in any number of other games, mm-hmm. right? I could just lift that out and be like, oh, I totally want to do um, whatever game it is about social change. Yes. 
Now, elements is like a little uh, harder. I, elements, I'm like snipping a little something out of it. So I, when I talked about it last week, I mentioned that there was um, an example in the book about how the players hijack the video feed of the Super Bowl and and broadcast like a PSA uh, for AIDS to kind of raise national awareness, right? Yeah. Um, so if I wanted to, I could just actually snip that event. Yeah. Right. That little bit of narrative. I could snip that out and just stick it into some other game like in my cyberpunk game. You know, there's a, you know, a pirate TV station that did the same thing. Right. Like not the players didn't do it. I just snipped that little element just and stuck chunk, it. Stick it in. Yeah. Into my game. Right. So I could do something like that. OK. Yeah. Um, and that, and again, I'll admit the elements one is really kind of a stretch. There are better examples for how from for things to pull elements from, but really want to kind of show you that you could, you know, really um, you can do any one of these or multiples. Right. Yes. I could absolutely do the mechanism and procedure in an, in a different game. Right. I could definitely put together uh, stats for how to do improvement and also have it as an end of session. Um, thing that gets done yeah for sure yeah cool Cool. so i think the the thing for us to talk about maybe a little bit more here is which one of like these styles of of pieces um you choose to take forward with you is going to have to do with with some other parts right like do you want to use this for a specific game that you're going to run um Or do you want something that you're going to put into a specific genre or a specific session? Um, Or are you looking at this that you you want to take this forward as something that is now going to be part of your overall GMing style personally? Like whenever I run games, I want to take this bit with me because it was really cool. I really liked it or whatever it was, right? Or do you want it to be part of your table culture, meaning not just you, but your players, like the people at your table as well, right? Like, is this a universal experience that you're all taking forward? So from here, let's go back to some of the moments that we talked about last episode. So these are actually, we, we copied them forward in our notes, right? The exact same memorable moments that we talked about last episode. Um, and then we're going to pinpoint a little bit more about what exactly we lifted out of those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why don't we ping pong through these? Sure. Um, so I'll talk about the first one, uh, Amber Diceless, right? Um, for me, this was my two takeaways from this, right? My real game changers um, was the first time that I learned how important narration and narrative position was, right? In a game with no mechanics, all you have is narration. Yeah. And um, it was the first time that I really took the idea of being a GM seriously. And when I mean seriously, as in, uh, this is a thing I should learn to improve. Like I should make myself become a better GM, right? I should learn how to be a better GM. So my carry out, my carryaways, right? My carry, what did I take from those? Absolutely was technique. Mm-hmm. Um, because narrative positioning is a thing uh, that's easy enough to carry into any game. Yeah. Um, how it expresses itself might be like a mechanical expression. Like in each game, it might be a little different. I give you a bonus or I let you make a roll with this skill instead of another skill or whatever. But the idea of 
let's talk about in the narrative what you're doing and let that lead into the mechanics, right? My first kind of tastes of that came out of um, Amber Diceless. So those are techniques that I carried with me uh, going forward. Yeah, my first one was Fate Accelerated. Um, and the big thing I think I took away from it was also technique. It was the first game that I encountered where narrative positioning had a direct impact on the story, right? Mechanically, I should say, not on the story, um, had a direct impact mechanically. Um, and that was pretty game changing for me. But the other thing that came out of that for me as a technique was, um, the understanding, an understanding that I now understand even better because now I like, I know I have ADHD now and I didn't then, but, um, a technique of essentially looking for games that support my specific style of running games and, and give me the kind of tools that actually help me. I don't even know if that's really a technique. It's definitely a lesson I learned. What, what would you categorize this as? No, I mean, I think it's it's something it's, that you've you've uh, you've woven into your GMing. It's definitely a yeah, technique. Yeah, it's a technique. So it's it's something where I I like playing a very wide range of games. I enjoy running a, a subset of the games that I enjoy playing. Right, there are games that I don't have a lot of fun running, and it was the first time I had encountered a game where I did have fun running it because um, it was a lot easier to do improv GMing work. Um, in Fate Accelerated than I had been having with um, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and with simplified rules, it's a lot easier to just like be like, okay, let's just make something up, right? Sure. Um, so ADHD goldfish brain memory is not good at remembering prepped details for um, dungeons and plans and all of that kind of stuff, even when I am the one who created them. So I'm not even talking about, you know, like, pre-written adventures, purchased something, um, anything along those lines. I'm talking about like I sat down, wrote a dungeon, couldn't remember all the bits about it. And I spent a lot of time flipping around. Um, Fate Accelerated was the first game where I just didn't. Like I just didn't. And that's now my GMing technique. I just don't. Um, and by not planning it, I leave myself the freedom to not be anxious and freaking out about what I'm forgetting. Um, so I like games that support me in running games like that. Um, and Fate Accelerated opened my eyes <laughs> to, to that possibility. Um, yeah, so that was Fate Accelerated for me. Nice. Uh, my second one was Underground, which we went into kind of we excruciating <laughs> in um, detail. Yeah. But I will specifically say, like, we, we did those as an example. I will specifically say how um, I... Uh, carried those out for me, right? Um, so again, those social change mechanics, um, but also the idea that the game was not just about um, getting rich or getting more powerful. Like it was actually about like using your abilities for the greater good. So um, on the first one, the mechanics, like I 100% lifted those out for Hydro Hackers, right? Yeah. It's right in the opening of Hydro Hackers, right? It says that Underground was a massive inspiration um, for those rules. I make no, I, I hide nothing um, in terms of that. The mechanics are a little different for how the neighborhood works in Hydro Hackers because it has a lot to do with um, 
tanks of water and how you spend your water to do things. But I but if you go and open the underground book and you open the hydro hackers book, you will see <laughs> they are exactly like you can see the DNA yes. like right, like stretching from one into the other. Um, the idea of um, a game not being about like just getting rich or getting more powerful. Um, 100% is a theme. Like, I am drawn to games where that is true. Like, I can do fantasy games, like, just to, you know, level up and rack up money or whatever. But that's not my jam. Like, my jam is um, games that make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good theme. Cool. Uh, my next one is Tales from the Loop. And before I actually talk about this, as usual, I have to put a little bit of an asterisk on it, which is that, um, gosh, by the time we got to the end of this campaign, I'm not sure that anyone who is familiar with the game Tales from the Loop would actually consider what we were playing to be Tales from the Loop. So just, you know, take that with a grain of salt and um, your mileage may vary. But it's an awesome game whether you play it by the rules or not, apparently. Um, I have a bunch from this game because it was very influential. It's still one of my favorite games, I think, that I ever played. And it was a campaign that we started and then stopped and then started back up again. So it's the only one we've sort of completed an arc, wrapped up, and then come back to it later. Um, so it has sort of bits and pieces all over the place it it covered a long span of time for me right so um so here's a quick list of things um one of them is mostly for my entertainment which is an element specifically um that comes up in my group and if you've hung out with me for any amount of time you've probably heard me say this because it's just that like level of omnipresent with the particular folks I play with at this point and has drifted into other people's games too now, which is that it's never just ice cream is the quote. Um, and that's, it's, it's literally just that quote, but it means that, um, when someone asks you for an ice cream date, it's never just ice cream. They're like in love with you is sort of the, the theory behind it. Um, which is really funny when you see things on the internet and they're like, Ugh, I turned down this date because he wanted to get ice cream. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, anyway, funny stuff. Um, a couple of techniques that I picked up from this game as well. Um, one was connecting two campaigns um, because they were entirely separate campaigns. Uh, and they, they didn't, the second one did not pick up where the first one left off, right? Like there was a 10 year gap in the middle. Um, so just the, the concept of taking characters, fast forwarding the timeline, and then like starting again with them with the trauma that they were carrying forward from their first campaign, Ugh, very cool. Procedurally, we used microscope to make that happen, right? And that was mm -hmm. also very cool. I haven't had the opportunity to actually do that, but the technique was like, is in my head now. Um, another technique, and this one happened when we did that switch over to um, 10 years forward in time, was we successfully added a player to that second campaign who had not been in the first campaign. So we actually had some pretty big um, player changes at the table. We lost two people and we gained a different person who had not been in the original game. Um, and I think it was my most successful experience with adding a new player to an existing story um because what we did in that particular instance is that we were just like what if he was your fiance and i was like heck yeah and like instant love triangle drama then occurred um 
but the technique that I took from that was um, adding the person to the story in a way that doesn't require their character to know things that their player doesn't know, right? Like he wasn't like some kid from the same town that we grew up in that like just somehow hadn't been with us for the last adventure, right? Like he had no idea what had happened in the last adventure and neither did his character. So it made perfect sense that he was approaching it from that clean slate um, from both directions. So that was key. And the other thing that was key was um, immediately giving him a really strong reason to engage and care about the story that was about to happen um, from a personal perspective to that character right? Other than I'm at this table and all these people want to play this game again that I wasn't here for, right? So that was a really fantastic technique. It worked out really well. And it's something I think, um, knowing that those two specific kind of points happened, they could happen in different ways, but it's a really good technique to make sure that someone can get into a game. Mm-hmm. And then the one other thing I'll say about this, because I, I have talked about this game a lot, all over the place for many years. Um, but the one other thing I'll say is the the theme that really worked for me with this game was um, the amount of relationship, drama, intensity, and just um, chaos that occurred uh, on the background of all the other chaos that was occurring because people were ending up in space and stuff. But the, the relationship drama was so good that it really informed how I, um, how I really like to approach, um, relationships in games and, um, how I like to play it. Like it was just a, oh, this, I really enjoy this. Can we do it again? Theme, right? Cool. That was a lot. What's your third one? (laughs) Uh, my third one was Dungeon World. Yeah. And, um, you know, the things I talked about last time from this was, um, so learning from Chris how improv GMing worked, uh, as well as the principles and agendas from the Dungeon World game themselves. So um, all of these became techniques for me. Um, and the principles and agendas became not only techniques, but also became themes. Yeah. Um, so from the improv side, 100 um, percent, I committed myself to learn how to improv uh, GM. All right. For a long time, I thought it was some sort of, you know, talent I couldn't achieve that, you know, you had to be a certain type of person to be able to be an improv GM. Um, And I confidently can say five years later, sure, it's great. Um, I don't even do it that much anymore. Um, I have a blended style of doing a certain amount of prep and then letting a certain amount of spontaneity occur at the table, um, which is kind of my sweet spot um, because it's actually not a um, it's actually not a switch. It is a dial. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have over the years dialed into where I like to be. I like a certain amount of prep because I like to um, own a certain part of the story, but then I stop um, because I actually just want to see what happens when everybody runs into the story um, and let my improv uh, techniques take over. Um, So I am like almost like a, I'm like a 40% prep, 60% play um, kind of GM nowadays. And I actually do like prep, right? Like, I mean, I didn't just write that book as my mother would say, I didn't lick it up off the ground. I actually do like, um, prepping everything because I like to see what everybody's going to do with the thing that I made. Um, 
I don't need to solve everybody's problems, right? That that would be like the 80, 90% prep. Um, I don't come up with, you know, proposed solutions or optimal solutions. Like if they do this, do that. If they do this, do that kind of thing. Um, I more just chuck problems out on the table and they're just like delight in watching everybody scramble around to try to figure out what to do with them. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just coming in and inciting an incident and then just <laughs> playing everything that everything else that happens, which is like a 10% prep. Yeah. Um, okay. That's me. Most of yeah, the time. Well, and, and at some point we could have a further discussion about that. If people that find that, if people yeah. find that to be interesting, but a prep is a prep and, and improv are a continuum. Yes. Um, they are not discrete. Um, they are not discrete. Like it's not discrete. It's not binary. You like it's analog. Okay. Yeah, there is. Sorry, really quickly. There is a really potentially interesting discussion to be had there because um, I think there's also a lot of uh, what when we say what works for you as a GM. Um, but what we really mean is what's easier, like what requires less cycles for you to do. Right. Mm, or is entertaining. It's not, just, it's not just that. What what do you enjoy? Well, that's what I mean. Right. What do you enjoy yeah, doing? I mean, like, like it, you know, like what brings you joy at the table? Like well, if, the, if the reason that I that I'm wondering if we should, you know somebody let us know if you want us to talk about this is because because running prepped adventures is literally anxiety inducing for me and that's why I didn't do sure. it anyway I'm so sorry please move on yeah and then the principles the the principles and agendas from Dungeon World be a fan of the players all of those things um, for sure I incorporated some of those into my techniques and and I also incorporated some of those into themes for my you know for my table for my games that kind of thing. Sure. Um, so my last one is A Wolf by Any Other Name, which is a New World Magiscola um, LARP. Um, and last time I mentioned it was the first LARP that I had ever played. It is a, it's a parlor LARP, right? I'm into parlor LARPs. I haven't participated in any big like multi-day sort of LARPs at this point, although I would really like to. It doesn't really fit into my life. Um, but a couple of things I want to call out from just making that leap from tabletop into that style of LARPing, which is, it is a specific style, right? Um, it's not a buffer LARP or anything like that. Um, the, the two key things I think were um, procedural um, in the way that it specifically addresses um, safety, which I, I think having played a bunch more LARPs is, is pretty typical of that style of LARP, right? Of that genre of LARP. Um, and playing first that game and then um, a number more of games that are similar um, has definitely added a dimension to how I procedurally just approach safety, right? And how it is now written into my games, the way that we wrote it into Turning Point. Um, but I, I basically, I don't really write games that don't have that in them. Um, that's a procedural thing. I don't start games without having that conversation kind of going through it the same way that um, that I would if I were running a parlor LARP. Um, so procedurally, I approach it pretty much the same way now, um, whether I'm sitting at a table or about to play a LARP. It gets really mushy, that border for me. Um, and then I, I think this might be maybe like a theme. I don't know. I, it just, it taught me that I really like that kind of game and I've been just trying to play more and more and more of them. <laughs> Currently just means mostly going through the backlog of uh, Jason Morningstar's Patreon little mini LARPs because they're handily 
um, generally between two to four hours and usually play between three and eight people, which is like the perfect length and the perfect size. And we're just playing them all (laughs) one after another. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That is it for me. Yeah. Cool. All right. Good. So look, we we did exactly what we said we would do. We talked about how... um, we talked about how those things uh, carried over with us and talked about them uh, in the framework. So let's just kind of put a wrap up on this and just kind of talk about um, putting these two episodes together, right? So in the course of your gaming, you are going to have memorable games that you read, memorable moments at the table, memorable campaigns that you've played, memorable one shots, all of those things. And they can be just that, right? They can just be memorable and you don't have to, um, you're not required to do anything with them. Perfectly fine. Or they may be inspirational in the way that you want to change how you do things based on your interaction with that game or rule system. And so When those things happen, like you can, right, you can just not worry about anything that we talked about in this last half hour. So you can just not worry about it and just go with your gut. And somehow, you know, you'll change some things. And that's perfectly fine. Because honestly, that's what happened. Um, (laughs) That's how we did it, right? We just did it organically. But I am... Uh, And I think if you've listened to the show long enough, uh, you know that I am a believer in deliberate action, right? That one can take deliberate action to to affect change. Uh, And so the other way to do this is kind of is the way that we talked about over these last 40 minutes, which is you can sit with that experience. You can reflect upon it. You can say to yourself, "Okay, what about those rules? are having such an effect on me. What about this game is having such an effect on like, it's make, why is it making me so excited? Why do I always talk about it? Why is it that I'm looking, what is it I'm looking for in other games every time I play another game because it happened in this game, right? And then you can, you can lead yourself through it and through talking about those things. Is it a mechanism? Is it a procedure? Is it a technique that the game kind of makes you do, you know, or maybe a technique that somebody used in that game that you played? Is it the theme? Is it some element or elements? Is it some combination of all of those? And you can reflect upon those things and tease out what they might be. And then very deliberately, you can figure out, cool, now that I know what it is, how do I apply it? If it's a technique, great, I would like to be better at X. Well, luckily for you, there's like a whole internet of GMing advice out there. So much. Plus, you have us, right? So (laughs) if you tease a thing out and you, you know, maybe you don't even want to go looking, you could just ask us. And we'll talk about it, right? Um, if it's a mechanism, maybe you want to go drift mechanisms. Well, go check the Misdirected Mark um, archives if you're a patron. I guarantee you we've done shows about drifting rules before, but I'm not sure how long ago it was. You may have to dig into the vault um, to find those things out. But those things, right, that's like how you take deliberate action to take that memorable, that game-changing event in your life and do something with it. 
But again, you're not required to. You can just kind of organically stumble on it. I know I did. I, I mean, I think I've organically stumbled on all of mine. I do want to just point out, though, because you've talked about it before, that while you were playing that Dungeon World game, you were also very deliberately learning how to improv GM from Chris. And then when you met me from me, like you were very systematically approaching that. So I don't know. Yeah, I was kind you of can. annoyed. You I was annoyed in those days. You were like, annoyed? Why were you I, annoyed? Well, I was annoyed because if you read... um. So, for instance, if you read Dungeon World, right, like they pretty much tell you, like, you're not allowed to prep this game, right? Like you have failed if you've prepped this game. And um, and they don't say it quite so harshly, but kind of harshly. And if you remember those days yeah. back in 2010, yeah. like if you couldn't improv GM, like like you felt like there was something wrong with you. Like that's like back when they had... Um, God, I forget what that um t- that con that contest slash tournament thing that Chris was oh, in. Oh, Iron like GM. Iron GM. Iron yeah. GM. Right. You had all these improv games, and I was pretty annoyed, right? Because up to that point, until 2010, I was very much just a GM who prepped stuff and ran it, and all my players were having a good time. But then also, I was like, "Look, I'm a good GM. There's no way this technique is actually beyond me." Yeah, I just don't know how to do it. And then I just haven't done it. So I don't jump into things blindly, right? I don't go to a restaurant without having looked up the menu online. I wasn't just going to go run an improv game without studying some people who were doing improv games and picking their brains to figure it out. And when I did... Then I was like, cool, I'm going to go do this. And then I did it. And then I ran many games for years with little to no prep. And when it was done, I was like, cool. I don't know if I actually like that as much. Like I like it. I like I like it some, but I don't actually like it quite as much. And that's how I kind of later um, let the pendulum swing back until I kind of dialed in my preference. There's a very interesting conversation about how improv GMing and that exact um, perception of improv GMing, or at least how people act about it, um, is kind of gatekeepy. Um, it is. Yeah. It, no, it and is I and it, it was. And yeah, I mean, people look, get really snooty about it. <laughs> and I'm not going to bag. I'm not going to bag on anything. But if you look at that time period, OK, one, you had games basically um, forcing people to improv GM. Um, I. um so I'm not going to dunk on anyone, but a long time ago, I wrote a Dungeon World adventure. I know. Um, I've played called it. Dangerous, Dangerous Space Jail. It's great. Sure. And I've run it many times, but I showed it to a few professionals who looked down on their nose that there was a prepped Dungeon World um, adventure. I'm not going to name names or anything, but there were some people who very much did not like that adventure because it was Dungeon World prepped. Yeah. And it totally works. It's totally a playable game. And I actually think, and I've run that game a shit ton of times for people at cons and play tests and things like that. It's an enjoy, it's an enjoyable adventure, but it was definitely looked down on by the community. I still sell a few copies of it here and there. Um, I'll never take it down and people can just fuck right off in terms of dungeon world. Can't have prepped adventures like fuck off. It totally can. Um, it is gatekeepy. Also, and again, a um, absolutely charming person in 
like in real life and actually a great content creator and everything else. But one shot also contributed to that time period, right? You had all these improv players playing games. It was your inspiration for improv well, gaming. Yeah, I'm like, it's funny because like, for me, I w- it opened my eyes to the fact yes. that there was a way for me to run games that would not cause me massive anxiety yeah, <laughs> and failing again, or not remembering something because there wasn't anything to remember. And again, there's nothing, to there remember. nothing inherently wrong with improv GMing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's great. It is a great t- GMing technique. Um, it is that time period where it was like it, it started to head into the one wayism. Yeah, no, I get that. And right, which is always a dangerous thing in in this hobby. Yeah, when you get to when something starts to converge into the one wayism, it's almost always gatekeeping. It ends up being right because exactly there can't there is no one true way is yeah. right. And honestly, I was annoyed in those days because I was like, look, I've been doing this shit since <laughs> the 1980s and I've been knocking out some pretty good fucking games. And now you're telling me that I'm doing it wrong. Right. Like, then send no. a waltzes in having run her first game in no, like that part was 2010. <laughs> That part and was they're fun. telling I've, you you're wrong. I found it fascinating. So then I did it so that I could be like, yeah, I can do this. And then I could just go back to what I wanted to do. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> right. sorry, that was a, that was a, a bit yeah, of a turn on the conclusion, but I think what it comes down to is um, your ability to pick apart what is making an experience really notable for you so that you get to take away pieces of that and implement them and get to have more really great experiences again intentionally yeah cool anyway yeah anyway soapbox soapbox <laughs> off if we need to talk about it more just let us know <laughs> i don't think i need to talk about it more but if people are interested especially about that idea of um the analog idea of improv and prep we absolutely can get into that, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Don't think of it as a switch. Think of it as a dial. Yeah. All right. Cool. We should um, pack up and go. Yes, we should. Um, in order for dude for in order for us to do that, you need to talk about another show on the network. Sure. So have at it. Yes, on Thacko with Advantage, and and Jared love talking about RPGs and specifically D&D. Together, they share insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal and then tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. Maybe while you're listening, you'll even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you will never use. It's been pretty funny to watch everybody on Blue Sky and um, Mastodon and kind of all over the place doing the RPG a day thing and one of the questions on there was definitely like, what's the oldest RPG you played? And it's like, well, you know, there's a whole generation of people who were alive when the first one came out. Like there was no. <laughs> I am the lion, right? <laughs> right? Like, there's no predating this. Like there's a distinctive start time. Um, anyway, that was. Yeah. Anyway, ancient D&D factoids. <laughs> every time I, uh, what you call it? Every time. That question comes up to me, right? I am, uh, I am one hundred percent. You know that meme. Do not, yes. do not <laughs> cite the deep magic to me, which <laughs> it was there when it was written. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Good. I mean it's okay. It 
it's okay. There, like, that's one strata of gaming. I'm actually fascinated when younger gamers tell me what their entry point was. Yeah, then it's um, interesting because I remember them all. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, if yeah. you're like, because if you're like, oh, well, I got in like playing vampire, like. I know where you were in those days. Like, I remember the vampire days. Like, I had my own epiphany when I picked up the vampire book for the first time. Like, um, if you got in at 3.0, like, I understand where that was. Like, you know, it's fine. (laughs) I'm old, right? But I, like, I'm old. So that, that question was, like, laughable to me. But I am actually fascinated by it because I love to actually hear um, where people's entry points are. I like being people's entry point because then it's games like all out of bubblegum and stuff. And then it's just like wild. Anyway, we no, no, we have to do the end of the show, though. That's where we sure. were. End of the show. Sure, sure. Uh, say, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Oh, my gosh. I'm oh, so ready? excited oh, yeah, no, so to ex- tell you. I swear tonight. to God. I swear to God. This is the only reason we're recording tonight. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm hot. I'm tired. Here it is. I wanted to not right do this episode. No, no. And I just figured it out. The whole reason you made me record tonight instead of skipping was this one damn moment. All right. Hang on. I'm going to back up and do it again for okay. you so you can have it. <laughs> We're going to do a clean, clean take. Are you ready? A clean take. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Say, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? I am so excited to tell you this today. Um, you can find us in all the places by going to our link tree at misdirectedmark.com slash panda. Again, that is misdirectedmark.com slash panda. You don't have to remember how to spell anything. You don't have to remember the millions of places that we are. And we will keep updating that as the social media landscape continues to massively evolve in the chaos that it currently is. I'm just going to tell you, if you do go there, I'm just going to give you a preview right now. First of all, the background send a <laughs> Okay, just when you see the background and it looks okay on mobile, but it really pops on on a web browser. Senda made that. Uh, The podcast feed is in there so you can see our latest episodes. Um, It has links to all the place, all the most the most common places you will get your podcast, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. It has our Panda TikTok uh, it has a it has a link to our TikTok. It also has the TikTok feed. Yes. So you can just watch the videos right there. It then has a link to our Twitter account. And then it has links to our personal um, Blue Skies, Dice Camp, and um, our own link trees. Our own individual link trees. So yes. if you're looking for Phil or looking for Senda, you can find those. Um, and then like it has our email link and our forum link. So all of that stuff. It is very, it is craftily made. And actually the theme is really nice. I actually want like. Um, let's, let's be real. I, I took, I have taken one look at like the concept of Linktree, right? Which Linktree is a specific branded site. And I took one look at it and they said, awesome. This is a very basic website template, but I don't have to use their template. Correct. We could just have the, like, I used to do website design. Okay. Like we could, I could just make this, I could just make it and make it whatever we want it to be. And so that's why I said link tree, but it is definitely located at misdirectedmark.com slash Panda. And ours is cool enough that it has a bunch of embedded feeds and stuff. So check it out. Pretty spiffy. (laughs) And now it all falls into place. (laughs)
Awesome. Uh, listen up, folks. Um, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to Linktree. You're going to pick the link that um, speaks to you the most. And you are going to uh, leave us a question, a topic, uh, just something you're curious about. It could be one of those things. You've had a game-changing moment and you want to know how to take that moment and carry it into something else. Um, whatever it is, you're going to send it to us and we're going to make a show out of it. Um, don't get excited like it's a one-to-one, -one, like you send a thing, we make a show. But <laughs> you send us a thing, it goes into we a list of possible list. topics. Correct. And the one that jumps out at Phil as I'm, as I'm prepping the show for the week is the one that we do. But um, we do make our way through a good portion of them. We don't throw, like, we too, not too many of them get... Um, like put into the archive or anything like we really do strive to do as many of them as possible not all of them some of them either we're not the best people to do them or um i just like the topic never strikes me the right way but sometimes one that's been laying around all of a sudden i'll look at it and be like i have thoughts mm -hmm. and it becomes a topic anyway um the whole goal of this is to help you we want you to run more better games the more better games you run the more fun you're going to have the more fun your players are going to have you're going to stay in the hobby longer and you're going to have more experiences tied to this hobby including all of the good things that come from being in this hobby um, it has been my main source of entertainment my connection to all my deepest friends and my best way for processing stress in the course of a week for the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, doesn't, isn't likely going to change anytime soon. So um, probably just going to ride that one as long as that train will go kind of thing. Anyway, we want you to take that ride with us and take that same journey and get all those goodies as well. So we're going to help you along the way by giving you advice applying our vast knowledge, our years of gaming and our years of GMing advice. We'll put it to work for you. If you like what we do here elsewhere in the Mistracted Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Your patronage gets you right into the Slack room for life. You can hang out with us on Fridays. You can join the very many uh, topics, the channels that are in Slack for very many different discussions. Uh, you can, at higher tiers, get access to things like the AP materials from our um, uh, Children of the Shroud game, um, of which I will now finally produce a new behind the screen as we finally finished the recording of um, of session three, um, which means Boy, that for all wait. of you, yep. after the last of the um, session three episodes drop, you will also get to hear the behind the screen session three, yes. um, which will be hysterical. Mm -hmm. um, because the difference between what that game was when I prepped it and what it became by the time it finished like six episodes later um, is hilarious. So enjoy that. Um, and at the higher tiers, you can get access to our design stuff right now. That's mostly Chris working on the Lamplighter stuff. Um, but we have out in our calendars um, work that we're going to be doing on Turning Point and maybe doing some beta reading and like just letting our patrons read our chapters. That may be a possibility. We haven't completely talked about it, but that is sure. yeah, we something that we might maybe. just ask people to do. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's all possible. Plus the vault with a ridiculous number of back episodes. If you're one of those people who's like, I love back episodes. I want to like listen to everything that's ever been recorded. There's a lot in there. <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's like the geological strata of like seven to 10 years of my gaming is encapsulated in like the podcast. Like you can literally hear what game was important in my life at different parts of my life just by listening to those shows. So yep. enjoy. 
Anyway, um, we thank you for patronage. It is what keeps the lights on, the servers humming, and makes all of this uh, absolutely possible. So thank you very much for um, all of your patronage. Um, if you are a patron of the show, thank you very much. If you're unable to patron the show, there's a thing you can do. Um, it has benefited a number of you already. Please pay it forward. Send it. Tell them what that thing is. Well, you can leave us. Well, actually, firstly, you can tell somebody, like tell a friend, tell someone on the internet who's looking for a new RPG podcast, you know, a system agnostic uh, talkie show. Hey, that's us. We do that thing. Um, or you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, wherever you get your podcasts. That's kind of like telling a stranger that you don't know that you like our show and that they should listen to it, which we also really appreciate. Definitely had not keeping up with reviews posted everywhere, but I love seeing them when I stumble across them. So if you've left one somewhere and I haven't squeed, please just let me know because I love reading them and I will share them with Phil too, because he loves hearing them. I think I'm just speaking on your behalf at this point. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much to everybody who has already told someone or already left a review and thank you to everyone who is going to. We really appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you as well. Oh, Sacenda, what do you want to pull out of our um, Long Live the Queen game as, you know, something to carry on to other games? Mm, yeah, probably something about how single player GM stuff works. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Since we'll be doing a lot more of that in the future. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloop! Clicky. All right. Got waveforms. Yes. Me too. All right. Bloop! I got a phone call. Hang on a second. Okay. Another danger of recording this late. Yep. Bloop. I don't know if you actually heard that or not. I did actually hear all of it. <laughs> Ryan may also then hear it. <laughs> I suspect that he will. <laughs> Can you, did you get the beginning mark? I, something close. Yeah, I did. Okay. Might as well just get an end mark on this. Yep. That's what I was going to do. Do you remember do. what I was talking about? I, 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 we were underground. I think we got the recap done. We got Let's, the recap done for sure. And then I think we were about to go into the example. Okay. Okay. I got nothing. Okay. Bloop. Show me Show what you got. got. Show me Show what, what you got. got. Show, Show me what you got. got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got.